0: Chapter 5 The Kuravai Kuthu. The friends had strolled out of the Andhapuram when a feminine voice reached them. Kandamara! Kandamara! That's my mother. Wait a while here, will you? And Kandamaran vanished within the ladies' quarters again. Bandyatevan, left to cool his heels in the corridor, could not help but listen to muffled sounds of women throwing a barrage of questions at his friend who stammered and stuttered his answers. A burst of tinkling laughter assaulted him as well. Perhaps they were laughing at him, Vandiyatevan wondered and felt his face grow hot with shame and anger. But there was no more time to be wasted on such thoughts. Kandamaran reappeared that very instant. Come on, he grabbed his friend's hand and dragged him away. There's a great deal I must show you. While they made a duly thorough inspection of such grand sites as the Kadambur Palace's moonlit courtyards, dance and music halls, large granaries, marble terraces, beautifully carved alcoves and balconies, towers, commemorative plaques, kalasams and royal stables, Vandia put forth his question as nonchalantly as he could. The ladies seemed to be very merry when you left me to answer their questions. Were they so very overjoyed at my arrival? (laughs) They certainly were happy to see you. My mother and the rest liked you very well. But you weren't the reason for their laughter. Oh, who then? You know, don't you, that Parvet Terrier has married a young woman after all these years at this advanced age. He's brought her here with him in a closed palanquin. But listen to this he won't send her to the women's quarters. He chooses instead to keep her locked up in his own apartment. One of our maids happened to catch sight of her as she peeped into their rooms through the Palagani and described her in such glowing terms that no one knows what to make of it. They are now speculating about her birth and identity. Maybe she is from Ilangai, Kalingam or perhaps even the Chera Kingdom? You are aware, I suppose, that the palve terriers originally hailed from those parts? Of course, you told me so yourself. Vandya waved a careless hand. Be that as it may, how long has it been since the old man married this mysterious beauty from who knows where? Not more than two years, I should think. Rumour has it that he doesn't leave her alone for even a moment. He takes his beloved lady with him in a palanquin wherever he goes. People have been trading gossip about his marital escapades for quite a while now What else do you expect when a man of his age and standing gives in to temptation and stoops to spending all hours with a young girl There is no reason for such widespread talk about old men and their predilection for young women Shall I tell you the truth about such gossip? (laughs) Women, my dear Kandamara, are jealous creatures I am not putting down your family merely commenting about their nature in general. Kadambur's royal ladies are dark complexioned beauties. Parve Tarir's young wife is a golden nymph with skin like a delicately tinted lotus. Hardly surprising is it that they should comment about her in such terms. Golden? But how on earth would you know? Have you seen her then? Where and when? If Parve Tarir ever caught wind of it, you'd be dead in moments. You know me, Kandamara. I am hardly the man to be terrified about such things. In any case, it wasn't what you think. I was a part of the crowd at Veera Narayanapuram, watching the Parve Terrier cavalcade as it passed by me. By the way, I did hear that the elephants, horses, palanquins, parivattams and everything else were a part of your welcoming committee? True enough. What of it? (laughs) What indeed! I merely compared his magnificent entry with mine. (laughs) Kandamara chuckled appreciatively We gave Paduwe Tarir the welcome due to the empire's treasurer While you, as a warrior staunch and true Deserve something a little more spontaneous, shall we say If by Muruga Peruman's grace You should happen to become something more Such as the Kadambur royal family's son-in-law, for instance You will find that your welcome changes entirely He paused But you were about to speak of something else, weren't you? How did you ever know that Paluvetarir's beautiful wife was a golden nymph? There I was, gaping at Paluvetarir as he passed me by, majestically seated on his elephant. Truth be told, Kandamara, he seemed more like Yamadharman on his terrifying black bull. And lost in daydreams about how one day I should like to ascend to his height, a closed palanquin followed him. I was wondering about its occupant when a slender hand crept out and pushed away its silk screen a little, allowing me a glimpse of a golden face. And that was all I saw. From what you've been telling me now, she would seem to be his young wife. You're a lucky man, my friend. Word is that no man has ever managed to catch the smallest glimpse of her. But you saw an arm and her face, didn't you? What country did she seem to be from, did you think? I'll confess that I didn't really bend my mind to it at that moment. From what little I saw though, I wonder if she might be from Kashmir or one of those lands beyond the seas such as Savagam, Kadaram, Misiram or even Greece. Perhaps she's from Arab lands. I've heard tales that they cover their women from head to toe the moment they are born. From far away, the sound of instrumental music fell on their ears. The beats and notes of Salli, Karadi, Parai, Udukku and a flute blended together as they reached the friends. What's happening? asked Vandyatevan. It looks like the Kuravai Kut is about to begin. They are playing the prelude I think. What's your pleasure? Would you like to watch? Or prefer to have your meal and make an early night of it? Alvar Kadiyan's enthusiastic words about the celebrations at Kadambur that night echoed in Vandhiya Tevan's ears. His mind was made up in an instant. I've never seen a Kuravai Kandamara. I should like to now. The friends turned a corner in the long corridor to find the glory of a stage set for the performance in front of them. And in truth, they were just in time. Spectators had begun to arrive. The stage for the Kuravai was set in the midst of a vast space, a white sand strewn courtyard enclosed on one side by the palace and the fort's thick walls on the other. Drawings of roosters, peacocks, and swans were set up on the stage at appropriate positions. Various colorful decorations, consisting of puffed rice from roasted red grains, glossy red and black kundrimani beads, fragrant flowers, and turmeric smeared thinai rice, were sprinkled liberally. Large lamps or kuttavilakas and oil torches burned bright in an effort to dispel the encroaching darkness but smoke belched by said torches and the fog-like density of various incenses like akil dimmed the light, producing a dramatic effect. Musicians had seated themselves in front and by the sides of the stage and begun their performance with alacrity. The thunderous beats, scented flowers and aromatic incense wended their way into Vandiyatevan's brain and for a moment, the world seemed to spin. Once the chief guests arrived, there was no more reason to tarry. Nine women gathered on the stage, prepared to begin their performance. In accordance with the Kutu tradition of those times, there were garments moulded to their figures and jewellery that set off their charms to perfection. Silamba anklets clinked on their feet, their tresses fairly glowed with red flowers such as Kanni, Kadamba, Kandal, kurinji, and sevvalari, All blooms set to gladden Muruga heart. In addition to wearing them, they had woven the flowers into a long garland as well and themselves into it. Some held parrots in their hands gracefully, fashioned from sandalwood and painted in a riot of colours. They paid their respects to the gathered audience. The kuth began in earnest. The women sang songs in praise of Muruga Puruman, his courage, the valour that led to confront demons such as Surapadman and Gajamugan the stirring tales of his battles against them, the enormity of the divine power he wielded that vaporized entire seas and oceans and his complete annihilation of evil forces. They spoke of his beauty, his many attractive charms, his compassion and of the celestial women who themselves the epitome of beauty yearned for the love of such a warrior of Murga's magnanimity in refusing the hands of such high-born damsels and journeying to the wild mountains of Tamilagam where he wooed and won the heart of a simple tribal girl who shoot birds as he guarded Tinai. The stories they told, the songs they sang and their beautifully coordinated dances, not to mention the steady beats of the parai and the melodious notes of the flute, set pulses racing and nerves jangling in anticipation. They finished finally with the age old traditional blessing. Pasium pinium pagayum ariga. Mareyum valamum danamum periga. Woe to famine, disease, and war. Welcome, welcome to rains, wealth, and fortune. Their departure was the sign for the next and more important part of the Kut to commence the Velanatam, the dance of Velan. Accordingly, the principal players. The Devaralan and Devarati, the male and female components of the dance, arrived on stage. True to the roles they were to act, each was dressed in blood-red garments and had twined gloriously red sevvaleri flower garlands around them. Their foreheads were smeared thickly with red kungumam. Their mouths glistened red with the juice of beetle leaves and arcanuts. Their eyes, when they cast them around the audience, glowed a bloodthirsty red. It began, to tell you the truth, in a subdued fashion. Man and woman danced away on stage, by themselves at times, in tandem, hands interwoven at others. As the minutes passed by, the crashing beats of instruments picked up pace and their dance turned turbulent, reverberating with emotion. The Devarati danced to a corner of the stage and picked up a spear. The Devaralan pranced to her and did his best to wrest the weapon from her. The Devarati protested and tried to fend him off. The Devaralan, after a prolonged effort, finally grew tired of her refusal and delivered a mighty leap that set the stage quaking. He grabbed the spear from his mate, upon which the Devarati crept away from the stage as though trembling in fear at the sight. The Devaralan grasped the spear and began to dance. A dance that grew in frenzy and mad, mad energy by the moment. A dance of annihilation, of destruction, that raised down the pride and arrogance of the demon Surapadman and his evil cohorts. Velan hacked away each of the demons' heads, but lo and behold, they simply grew back. The more they did, the more did Valan's wrath boil over. His fury reached enormous proportions. His eyes spit sparks of fire. And finally, the demon lay dead at his hands. The spear dropped from the Devaralan's nerveless fingers. Suddenly, every instrument stopped its agitated performance. None but the Udukku could be heard, rattled furiously by the head priest. The Devaralan quaked and shivered on stage. Every pore in his body jangled with the sparkling energy that seemed to fire up the nerve endings in his brain. The Sanadam whispered his audience, comprehending his state as almost godlike, filled with the power of divine perception and the ability to foretell the future. It is time! And indeed, so it seemed, as the priest rattled his udukku with more energy than ever. Presently, he focused his attention on the quivering Devaralan. Vela! Muruga! Commander of the divine armies! He entreated. Kanda! Destroyer of the demon Sura! Grant us your pearls of wisdom! Give us knowledge of what is to happen! What do you wish to know? growled the Devaralan, shaking in the grip of the Sanadam. Tell me! Will the rains come on time? Will our lands never lack wealth and water? asked the priest shall the empire flourish. May all our desires be fulfilled. The rain shall come. The land shall flourish. All your desires shall be fulfilled. But, but you, you have failed. Failed to satisfy my mother. Failed to worship her. You, have not given her heart's desire, shrieked the Devaralan, caught in the grip of otherworldly power. She asks for blood. My mother, the fearsome Goddess Durga, Mother Kali, wishes for a sacrifice. She who guards the world, the supreme goddess Chandikeshwari, who vanquished Suran, wants a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? asked the priest. Are you prepared to offer what she wishes? The Devaralan shook and quivered in frenzy. Will you give what her heart craves? We will, we will, yelled the priest. Blood, the blood of kings, the Devaralan screamed, catastrophe colouring his voice. My mother craves the blood of a royal dynasty that spans a thousand years firelight cast strange, vaguely terrifying shadows on the faces of Paruvetaryar, Malavaraiyar, Sambhuvaraiyar and other dignitaries seated directly across the stage. They glanced at each other upon the Devaralan's startling words. Their bloodshot eyes, already swimming with the mad fervour of the evening's events, traded furtive glances. Sambhuvaraiyar directed a quick look at the priest and gave a barely perceptible nod. The Uduk stopped abruptly. The Devaralan, shaking on the stage, dropped like a felled tree. The Devarati ran up, managed to scoop him into her arms, and made a hasty exit. The audience dispersed in silence. Somewhere, far away, jackals howled into the night. Bandyatevan, whose nerves were almost as jittery as anyone else's, what with the excitement of the koot and its attendant emotions, pricked his ears at the animal's inhuman growls. His eyes strayed almost involuntarily to the fortress walls. Alvar kalyan's head rested there. Vandiya almost jumped out of his skin, horrified. His skin broke out in goose pimples. The hairs on his neck rose, prickling in terror. It looked as though, as though... Someone had cut off Nambi's head and stuck it on the wall. He blinked and stared at the fortress wall again to find it empty. Vandit shook his head, ashamed at his morbid fancy. Nameless fears and conjectures filled his heart. He could not find it in himself to shake them off. Hidden meanings and explanations Parivattam An ancient honor usually conferred by tying a richly decorated turban upon the recipient's head. The roots of this custom lie in the fact that these were conferred upon lords or other privileged men, often during ceremonial affairs. These days one can see the custom followed during elaborate temple festivities.